Welcome to Dugout Study Hall, a remedial course in baseball stats and proud member of the Pitcher List Podcast Network. I'm your host and expert layman, Matt Goodwin, and I am joined, as always, by your fake baseball economist, Alexander Chase. On this episode, we will talk a little bit more about Camden Yards and Wooded Dong, K percentage in WRC+, and Jorge Mateo as the poster child for when to roster one category contributors or not. But before we get to all of that, Alexander, how you doing? You know, it's... It's been a it's been a pretty okay week so far. Yeah. Um I'm slowly but surely as like the actual school year sort of comes to the end. I, I hear you might know something about that too. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> starting to get my like summer schedule sorted, which is like going to feature me like working 9 to 5. Um that's really weird. I didn't know that mm. people did that. Um so I'm 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 trying to get oriented back to that uh, and I'm excited that might mean I like get home and like watch baseball more regularly because <laughs> i haven't been yeah, doing it very much that's a significant change over the like mornings off and then afternoons and evenings kind of kind of existence that you've lived for a while yeah yeah and, and i'm okay with that for sure like i'm i'm quite happy to like have some regularity for like the yeah the near future i'm sure you know like the the trade-off is like after this it'll be like nine to nine and such for like the rest of my life or whatever but like yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the 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 truth. Um well, I enjoy enjoy this this uh just schedule change and having your your evenings is getting up going to feel weird? I mean, I already do that cuz I have to make coffee in the morning. Like that's my job. Oh, okay. All right. See, if I didn't have to work until like 2 in the afternoon, I don't think coffee would be my job. Uh but I have kids, so kids would be my job and and I wouldn't be able to sleep in now, but Oh, oh yeah, I should say good old days. <laughs> um, yeah, there there was a time in like my uh, my senior year of college whenever I was working for the, the campus newspaper where um, I would get off work sometime around one or one thirty, depending on the night. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would go home and play video games for a couple hours after that and then wake up at noon. Um, and yeah, right, right. <laughs> like, we're not quite at that anymore. I'm shifting your entire human existence at that point. You know, I, I put all my classes in the afternoon on purpose. I was pretty happy with it. But yeah, my, my future this fall, as far as I understand it, is that I'll have class at like 8 or 9 a.m. And this will not be feasible in the same way as kind of like I'm, I'm making it happen right now. So whatever. Be excited about what you can, I guess. Right. Yeah, no, that's a that's a super fair point. Absolutely. Are you are you shifting your actual uh, work or is it just shifting yeah. the schedule of the work? Well, well, it's it's like um, during the summer, you know, I, I think you've heard, as I said, kids stop doing that whole going to school thing. Yeah, um, right. So that yeah, means right. that they're available to like learn stuff for me instead. Um, so that's yeah. the whole idea is I will be like in the office teaching kids stuff. Um, from like nine to whenever my day ends uh, during but the you week. don't have to work it around a regular school day. I got you. Right, okay, that, right. that makes sense. My my summer is going to be very much uh, jam packed, probably like sixteen hour days, but it's going to all all be daddy duty. So mm. um, it's just a different kind of work. But uh, I've got great kids, so I really can't complain. I mean that that is absolutely work. It's it's worth saying <laughs> in case anyone doubts that even for a second. And I I don't even have any of that work on my plate. I, I mean, my 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 cat potty trained itself pretty quickly and doesn't know how to cry more than like a little bit. So like 
best of yeah. luck to you that you got the real job yeah. i'm sure well I, I know i brought it on myself um all right <laughs> let's uh let's move into what you have labeled in our rundown our, our guest rundown creator my co-host <laughs> alexander chase uh called the warm-up i like it i really do I, that's not what we usually have written in here but I think it, it's, it works. It makes sense. It fits our shtick. It's good. But it's something yeah. we, might, we might keep around. Yeah. And, you know, I was thinking, like, I, I don't really want this to be the shtick for today's episode. But I figure, like, there's always some odd or end I've seen someone, like, throw out there that they're curious about on Twitter. Or, you know, they, someone says something that, I'm, that kind of, like, sets me off into the, huh, I should do, like, a mild amount of work to figure out what the answer is to this. You know, I don't ever like to like write about the things that I research. Necessarily. Yeah. <laughs> but I thought this was a, a, a fun sort of thing to get on. Um, so the other day, I, you know, we still follow uh, what dong, obviously. Um, what mm-hmm. a great account. I, I just love the visuals, you know, like being able to see the ball curve in the air and like land in weird places in the park. Fun. Um, and I saw that for the third time this season, a uh, batter recorded a, it would have been a home run anywhere else hit at Camden Yards. And it's important to note, this was uh, Julio Rodriguez hit like a 100 mile an hour double that went like deep into the corner where they like put the wall back. And yeah, according to Woodadong, it would have been a home run in 29 out of 30 ballparks. Only Oriole Park at Camden Yards would have held this one in. That is their third such uh, batted ball this season. All three of those in Camden Yards have been hits, which is a nice thing. At least it's not, we're not like leading to a bunch of flyouts. There have only been 12 such batted balls all year. And three out of those 12 have been Camden. So, um, okay, so not, tw- not 12 just in Camden, 12 oh, in all God. of major league baseball. <laughs> well, right. I mean, the, with what they did with the wall, I wouldn't, I don't know. It doesn't sound like, tw- I guess only would have been, uh, uh, not home runs in Camden is a pretty big deal because there's a lot of other smaller ballparks, I guess. But if you had told me, honestly, if you had said with this new change, there have been 12 batted balls that would have been home runs everywhere except Camden Yards, I probably would have <laughs> believed you. But you're right. I mean, three out of 12 is still a, a, a super significant percentage. Um, yeah. And, and it, I mean, it piggybacks on what we were talking about before, right? In terms of like the impact of this and all the the stuff that Aaron Judge had said about create a park and and that sort of thing yeah what what got me thinking is i was like should we care about this particular number and also is that a lot it it was kind of a weird thing to wrap my head around and i think Mm. you already kind of got to the idea that i was at it's like that's a big percentage of those so then you get thinking how many 25 of 30s how many 20 of 30 balls have been flyouts into that little divot or whatever and also how often last year were they getting home runs where they were like five of 30s so like it doesn't take a whole lot to just be like set that ball in motion mentally i know i've seen some pretty interesting uh pieces out there i think someone at baseball perspectives wrote out about how like really really excellent a job it's done of like making it viable to be a left-handed pitcher in camden it's way beyond what we would hope for mm. um but like it's it's an interesting thought there. I also should note I, like when I originally tweeted this out, I had it at seven, and I realized I got the query wrong because I like forgot to separately look for how Wooded Dong talks about their unicorn um, outs. 
they tweet out um, like the doubles that are 29 of 30 differently than the flyouts in those situations. So there's a couple of their parks. Um, do you want to do you want to guess which other ballparks have had any such victims this year? Oh, uh, that is interesting. So it, it's a it's a ball that's hit that would be a home run anywhere but the place it's hit. Is that what we're talking about? Yes. Oh, I, I should know. I okay. just refreshed the search. There is another one today. Ryan McMahon had one um, in Coors. So I will give that away as like the obvious answer. There's a triple that he hit um, that would have been out everywhere else that he'll hit into like their deepest corner, uh, which is really funny. Okay. So see we, the parks that have, which, would have which been out anywhere else. Doing this though, let's clarify for me. We're we're talking about balls. So I'm I hit the ball <laughs> and it is a home run here, but wouldn't have been a home run anywhere else. Other or, way around. The other way around. Okay, I, I didn't know if we had shifted gears. That's the unicorn thing, right? That you were talking about. Well, they do both. The thing is, like, so like, yeah. they use the word unicorn to describe both the one of thirty home runs, and then the twenty nine of thirty flyouts. Um, so I like did my search wrong because like the twenty nine of thirty doubles they don't call unicorns. Um, if you're listening at Wood at Dong, which I assume is a sentient bot account, um, <laughs> that's a I would change that personally, but you know who am I? Um. So that's just a, a small a small thing to consider. Uh, well, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I think some interesting information and you shared this uh, came out about cores in terms of like where it stands as a home run giver or taker away. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about that for just a half a second before I make a silly guess about uh, another park that has victimized people? Sure, sure. Um so uh, a nice thing that I get to say about Savant, uh, I, I say mean things about them. So I should say nice things about them too when they're merited. And they were definitely merited here. Um, Tom Tango shared a blog post about how they updated their uh, ex home run leaders and like all that stuff by factoring in like elevation and weather a little bit differently and like appropriately into their mm-hmm. ex home run leaderboards. So if you go and look at like any Colorado Rocky or whatever, they're like normal now it's not just distance so if you look at cores like they do the appropriate factoring so instead of saying that like so and so would have only hit 18 home runs instead of 35 if they played in colorado they're like no he still would have like hit a lot um that's always been broken that's the sort of thing where it's like if you've known it's been broken it's been really easy to like not say a dumb thing about it and like just work around it you know, we always say it's like, it's good to know where things are broke so that you can work around it rather than just complain about those things. And, and this is a, one where there's a known good issue. And finally, they just fixed it. I'm excited to be able to talk about Coors appropriately. <laughs> well, I, as a Red Sox fan, and, and I'm guessing here, I have thought um, of the Green Monster, and this is just like anecdotal observation, eye test kind of a thing, that what the wall in, in Boston gives is the opportunity to turn some fly balls that would be outs elsewhere into wall scraper singles. Um, mm. <laughs> but that it takes a lot of scorched balls uh, that hit on the upper third that would have been home runs probably anywhere else and turns them into long singles, really, really hard hit singles. Uh, because it hits that wall and comes back in. So the, you know, obviously the angle, if you hit the ball super, super hard at Fenway, you have to also have uh, achieved a certain angle uh, if you're trying to get it over the monster. So I don't know if there's any truth to that. And it'll be interesting for me to find out one way or the other, but it just felt like there's, I've seen some, some games where balls have been absolutely crushed 
and they've hit, you know, 10 feet below the, the top of the monster and, and like on a line. And you have to imagine that in any other stadium that that would have been a home run. And you bring up the exact thing that what it done can't track because it does distance and not like projected velocity based off of if there weren't any walls. So they don't show up. But that's like a totally fair point that like probably they just can't catch. So you're for sure right without being right in the terms of like absolute (laughs) sense. Uh, I actually immediately thought, I was like, don't they have like a really deep right field piece that would, would be, I guess they just, they're probably on the low end, but they aren't the the unicorn spot anywhere. That is a, yeah. that is a good guess though, I would say. Uh, what other yeah, I, like, I hate this parks come to mind for you? <laughs> um, in terms of that particular thing, I, I don't, I'm tr- I'm really struggling now to try and come up with another place that would have such unique I, I okay so i'm going to preface this with saying i'm i'm trying to think of a place that has really unique dimensions right if it's you know that's not the standard. only way to go i mean if you think well, unique and, is just big yes you'll get this yeah i i guess that's true because if we're not talking about like fence heights and hills and weird quirky things we're talking <laughs> about distance right yeah um like uh st louis uh no, I'm sure they are they are probably like a, not a great place, but um yeah. they don't have any singularly like most unpleasant dimensions. I'll give you one more. Uh one more guess. Okay. Um Oakland. You know, I, another one that I would have thought of, but haven't had any. Um so I'll just run down a couple of them and you'll be like, "Oh yeah, duh, of course." Um <laughs> <laughs> Oracle Park Giants have uh, a couple of them that have been responsible. Uh, Kauffman Stadium, the Royals uh, has some pretty deep fences and some parts. Uh, Comerica Park for um, the Tigers. I mean, duh, that one's really deep in some obvious spots. The Twins at like straightaway center have stolen a couple. And then, and this is a really weird thing. The left field porch for guaranteed rate field for the white spot white Sox has a couple spots where you would have expected where, where it's like the worst but like just a couple spots so it, it's interesting it's like you just got to be as you go around the major league wide hypothetical bar park you just have to be the one spot and someone has to hit it there whereas a lot of the mm. parks that you, we would think of are either a weird in some ways it won't show up here or just be generally awful um you know in that me um simping for there need to be more home runs always sort of point of view when i say awful so Mm. um so let me understand this then let's let's bring this conversation full circle back to camden when we are looking at these numbers we are only considering the distance change not the change so it actually could be even worse (laughs) well you know you say that i'm sure no it kind of like has like the both effect and like um yeah, the wall it's not high enough to be an outlier like like the monster. Well, it's it, because it's both. It's not a problem, right? But like basically, when someone hits the top of the monster, it, you know, it travels like eight feet or whatever, right? And that's like its total distance that's recorded. I- I'm kidding, but I'm only slightly kidding. Like, what is the what is the monster's distance, right? It's oh, like I, you were going to ask me that, and I don't know off the top of my head. It's like is it in the twos or is it just the really low threes? Uh, no, no, I think it's the low three. I think it's three Oh two down the line. I'm going to okay. look it up as, as we talk here. So say some words and I'm going to, um, I'm going to find the dimensions here. Right. Right. So, so someone, when someone hits it off the top of the monster, it officially goes, let's say 310 feet or whatever. Right. Um, 
if someone hits it off the wall in that like carve out in Camden, like it's gone farther than would be necessary um, to be a home run anywhere. And then on top of that, to add insult to injury, it's bouncing off a wall. So it's like they've done both of the bad things all at once. Right. That's what I'm <laughs> saying though. The, so the wooded dong is taking into account the distance, but not the fact that the wall is, is a little bit higher too, which is going to probably steal some as well. So it's 310 down the line, straight down the mm-hmm. line. When you get to the the end of the wall uh, towards center field, it's 379. And then it goes back to 420. Okay, yeah. So that sounds like I know that there's there's more than a few parks where 370 would be pretty short for um like halfway between center and um yeah you know, and like the the line. Sure. So but if like, you hit a ball that would have traveled, I don't know, 450, let's say, uh, <laughs> and, and people different... have yeah, right, but you you don't get it up and over the wall. It, it, it almost it, people have hit the, the wall so hard. You're surprised that the ball doesn't embed in the monster. Um, so it's, you know, it's, I think it's 40 feet high, you know, it's not, yeah. that's why it's called the green monster. I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm overemphasizing the, the impact of the Orioles moving it back and up, but this, at the very least, this, this measurement is only taking into account the distance and not the trajectory that would be required to get it over that wall. Uh, I think so. one way or another, we're kind of like picking at something that like uh, shows like how the the squirrels run around the wheels uh, to to get the gears moving, um, and you know, picking at those little distant differences is is always helpful, even if it's not quite the right thing. Uh, one way or another, um, Detroit, um, why why you got to just be bad that in terms of like dimensions also <laughs> baseball i guess but like that's the other thing that shows up with this is like i don't think that it was exceptional dimension, it's just big i just moved this over into a, a conversation about how little you like the city of detroit so i'm glad that's not where you were going with that um <laughs> oh no, no all right no, anything detroit. else you want to say about dimensions and weirdness I, I these quirky things are a lot of fun so i i think it's awesome that you bring it up i, I guess we never answered the question should we care um, you know, I think it's I think it's a nice sort of indicator. I, I actually went ahead and because I was curious, I looked the other way on the the one of thirty unicorns, and I was shocked at how many of them are the Cubs. Um, mm. you know, like how many of them are? Uh, you know, you think it'd be Yankee Stadium. I see one, two, three, four. Oh God, it's gonna be a lot more of these than I think it is. But yeah, it's like all Yankees and Cubs essentially. There are a couple. There, yeah, there are a couple uh, unicorn Fenway shots that are just towering three hundred and twenty foot home runs, if you will. But yeah, Wrigley is. Uh, I'm, I guess I don't think about it as like just Fenway also a gives out those right down the line right field pesky pole. They have one of those, yeah, as well. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, We've it goes straight it. back from there, so it's it's the overall impact of pesky's pole being really short is, is fairly minimal, but when somebody does it, it's, it's definitely, it's noticeable. Mm. Um, all right. Why don't we move into our numbers of the week segment? And, um, I, I, I don't know exactly whether or not you're going to want to play a guessing game here or not. We can, we don't have to, um, but I, I, I want to talk about a couple of things that I think are going to segue nicely into our, our main idea, our, our kind of big question, which is looking at kind of one-dimensional players and, and when they make sense to have on your roster and when they don't. Um, and I want to look specifically at, at K percentage. Right now, there's five qualified players who have K percentages under 10%. Um, 
but it That's is good, not. Right? It's a very good rate, um, but it's not names. I, I don't know. They were not names that I would have immediately jumped to. Um, and so I, here's what I want to do first. I'm going to read from one to five, the WRC plus associated in order with the, the K percenter. So the first number I'm going to give you is the person with the, the best K rate in baseball mm-hmm. uh, among qualifiers, their WRC plus, and then the second, and then the third and the fourth and the fifth. And then I want you to try and just, uh, let, let's just say, guess the, the number one guy, and you can take a couple of chances at it because really this discussion is, uh, there's a direction I want to go with this. So we can have a little all bit right, of fun. Right. Um, and uh, I won't I won't torture you too much, even though you you uh, you did to me with the ballparks, what I tend to do to you with this segment uh, week in and week out. Um, so anyway, number one in K percentage. So the lowest K percentage among qualifiers has a WRC plus of one ninety seven. That's pretty That's good. That's very good. That's very good. Yes. The number two player. So the second best K percentage, second mm-hmm. lowest among qualifiers has a WRC plus of one oh nine. Not, not that great. That's, that's good. I mean, but... not not terrible, but certainly not 197. And I think yeah, this yeah. is starting to get to the idea of like, you can be very good at one thing and not necessarily all that much be all that much help in, on a fantasy roster, depending upon how your league is set up. So um, that's kind of where we're headed with this. Um, the number three guy on this list uh, has an, a WRC plus of 156. So back up again. The number four guy has one uh, WRC plus of 104. And then the last player under 10% K rate among qualifiers has, has a WRC plus of 125. Um, what does that what does that say to you without looking at names? And then I'll have you try and, and just guess maybe a couple of these guys or, or whoever you think the the best, the the number one guy is. But talking about some these, these are five players who strike out less than 10% of the time and their WRC pluses are all over the place. So what is just on the surface numbers wise, what does that say to you? Um, I feel like um, it's probably good to not strike out. It's also good to just make sure that the thing that you do isn't um, ground out immediately. Like there's a difference between hitting the ball and putting your bat on the ball. Um, And I, I say that stealing those terms directly from some people who would say that so-and-so just needs to get his bat on the ball because that's you know i think about steven kwan who i don't know i i, I don't know if he's one of those guys but he strikes he me as a person who like will be on these lists in years to come yeah. he is right now yep yeah and i i often think you know we've talked about it a few, t- few times this year and i he's not been very good he's been pretty okay he walks enough that he provides value but like he is simply staying alive with his bat uh way more often than people kind of think he is uh which is like mm-hmm. what happens when you've got no power line as of late uh, earlier on in the season he was he was um performing pretty well across multiple categories but certainly mm-hmm. has come back to earth yeah yeah so like you know my immediate thought there is like you need to make sure that you can do something that is better than a strikeout when you hit the ball. Um, and obviously I'm, I'm sure some of these guys are doing a whole lot. I, can I go ahead and give you my guess? Yeah. Um, is it Tim Anderson? It is not Tim Anderson. Tim Anderson oh. is number 12 on this list. Oh, okay. He's at I didn't 11.6% K rate. 
K rate. Okay. With yeah, a WRC plus of 164. Okay, okay. I, I didn't know how far his is falling because he was like at 20% last year and he was like, hey, what if I just don't? Um, it was kind of like the, the numbers uh, takeaway. And I was like, I that can't That would be an interesting list. The greatest like uh, uh, single drop. season drop. Yeah, yeah, like year over year. That would be an interesting list. That's not something I can just click on. I'd have to pull it and then, you know, compare yeah, it. Maybe my, my, I was sitting in my car the other day uh, thinking as one obviously does about how I would best want to capture that. Um would it just be like a simple subtraction or was it would it be some sort of like percent change and that's that's what i do for fun so you know really fun at parties um <laughs> i think both yeah. are useful yeah, the raw number and then also percent change i mean you could just two columns right it's easy yeah. enough to do yeah, yeah for sure um god so who, who never strikes out and is good um that's a that's a really short list it, is it jose ramirez it is jose ramirez okay, yeah okay. yeah he, you know what? Do you want to to fathom a guess just for fun at what his K rate is? Um, like seven. Yeah, seven point six percent. Cheeps. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I, I guess ninety nine. I, I guess that is definitely like the. Uh, but do you have his ISO in front of you? Uh, yes, three forty seven. I don't even know why. Like anyone like pitches to him that's just that's just disgusting um okay <laughs> like i don't have anything more constructive to say than that uh jose ramirez is good uh the guardians should just pay him like 50 percent more than his contract uh is just just for the sake of it wow okay yeah no i, I there's definitely when we say like putting your bet on the ball uh jose ramirez is doing a whole lot more than that and i should note that when he was a prospect he, we didn't expect him to so that's another conversation i think it, it and looking back retrospectively at what some of these guys uh, could have been if they hadn't just started murdering the ball. Um, but he's definitely not the topic of today's discussion for sure. And, and I know um, I have worried at times that some people like Tim Anderson could fall into today's discussion, but then um, no, that just didn't happen either. Uh, yeah, No, he, he's yeah. doing a lot of things really well this year and yes, I hope he's absolutely. okay soon. There is somebody um, that I want to talk about, and we, it can be two minutes before we, we kind of leave uh, this this um, numbers of the week segment and, and get into our central question. But I think it's a good player to bring up to kind of set the stage for what we're going to be talking about with our, our, our central question. And that's uh, Luis Arias, mm-hmm. uh, who has kind of gotten the reputation of being a one-trick pony mm-hmm. uh, with his batting average. Now, he is hitting. Uh, let me just make sure I have this correct. He's hitting 351 right now, which is, if you're going to have one trick, that's a pretty good trick. Yeah. Um, but he does have a, a WRC plus right now of 156. So I guess as a precursor to talking about when does a one dimensional player or a one category contributor merit rostering, um, how how good does does uh arias have to be right to Mm -hmm. to break free of that but can he get to a wrc plus of 156 just with a really good average um i don't think so uh now mind you i want to say when we talk about wrc plus um it does strip away some of the park factory things that people would get from like coors if we put jose or if you put arias and coors uh would he ever get out not yeah, sure. I, yeah. Um, I just we should do more of that. The Rockies should be good. I think that's that's an yeah. So Luis Arise should be good, and the Rockies should have people like him. I think that'd be really fun. Um, 
But yeah, I think that there's a little bit more than just like put bat on ball a whole lot for him. Um, and, and part of that is, you know, like you don't get that good of a batting average while not striking out just by not striking out. Right. He, he's got not a ton of pump, but he's does a pretty good job of making sure like the power he has, like puts the ball in the right places for the most part. Um, and is that all luck? It seems like it isn't at this point. Uh, we have to believe that he's right. going to be able to sustain like good placements of his balls onto the field if that makes sense um <laughs> that is a that is one way to put it uh yeah so i i think that that's part of the reason that he he escapes a lot of these sorts of problems um i don't know he, he i feel like in my brain he doesn't walk does he walk a lot he's uh, oh 13 this year yeah so he is he's no, well, that's the other also walk yeah so that's part the, of uh, i was gonna say that's another piece of this too is that his his walk percentage is i think top 15 in the league mm-hmm. yeah i'm uh, I like i finally have him up properly and he has a career sweet spot rate of like 40 percent. that's that's pretty good and he's got like yeah. a career line drive rate of some other good number let's see uh uh 30 percent. So yeah he's he's seems like he might have that skill which is a really rare one so there you go uh walk and only hit line drives that's what you should do to be good yeah well it it does seem like there are only a handful of people who have that as a skill set it does kind of beg the question then like if he's that that elite like beyond elite at something like that right maintaining an above average line drive rate why is it that the batting average is kind of the only thing he he often contributes is that because he as a guy who hits 280, 290, he didn't have a spot in the lineup that allowed him to drive runs in. Um, it's it's curious to me because he is a plus in runs, so he will escape a little bit of discussion from us today. I just want to say hypothetically. Yeah, but in the past, he hasn't been viewed as somebody mm-hmm. who's a cat- five-category contributor or even more than maybe two, right, at yeah. best. Yeah. So I think it's... He's very interesting. And I also, I really do think though, if you're going to have, if you're going to need somebody to fill in, uh, having somebody who hits, you know, 305 as their one category contribution is better than, than, you know, this guy might get a couple RBI this week, but he's also going to hit 240, you know, uh, and you're going to tell me if I'm right or I'm wrong, uh, when we get into our central question, which we will get into right after this very small break. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show and we are back. So, Alexander, I, I think this is a really cool um, question to ask, and I'm a little embarrassed that I never uh, – we were at episode 61, and I never thought of this as a question. So, 
uh, all the kudos to you for kind of coming up with this as a point of interest. But um, I think it's it's really useful to think about for people in in roto leagues or head to head categories leagues. Um, how good does a one tool player have to be to merit or or be worth a roster spot on your team? Especially if you're talking about deep, um, I'm not deep, the opposite of deep, shallow benches where you only mm-hmm. have a handful of, of spots. Uh, or you don't have IL uh, spots and you have to stash those people on your bench. So um, I'm just going to kind of let you take this discussion away and, and I'll jump in as, as I as I do. Uh, but I, I really think this is a very valuable question to ask. So I'm going to start by giving a little bit of credit to uh, the people who actually inspired this for me, um, whether positive or negative. It is where this comes <laughs> from. Um, so yeah, over the past couple of weeks, there's been a, what I would call a, a healthy and spirited amount of debate about whether Jorge Mateo is good enough to be rostered and started in fantasy leagues. Um, there are some people who think he is a good fantasy asset because he is stealing an incredible number of bases because he is very fast. Mm-hmm. Then there are other people, and I would say my first thought was to agree with them. I want to make sure I, I say where I was before I looked into this at all, who thought this guy has a 250 OBP and shouldn't be starting for any double A team. How can he possibly good be good for your fantasy team? Um, and like that's a bit of an exaggeration, et cetera, et cetera. But like he strikes out a lot. He never walks. He does not hit the ball hard. That's not a good combination. He's playing in an increasingly terrible park most of the time. He's a right-handed hitter in, in, in Camden. Like that's not a good place yeah. to be. So like my thought was like, there's no way he can possibly be contributing value. So um, Mike Curland and uh, Brad Johnson um, are like the two most recent people who have kind of like put forward this discussion and like thread. Curland's no- been on, on Mateo since like preseason. So mm-hmm, we got to give mm-hmm. him a little bit of credit there in terms of this discussion. Absolutely. And, and to his credit, when I went, looked it up, the answer seemed to be that so far, if you're like in uh, the most default fan graphs calculator settings i just pulled like what you would call like a 12 team nfbc setting which i think is a a pretty fair way of looking at this it's like a 12 team deep ish lineup but also two catchers so i'm like there's some two catcher effects in here later we'll get to and i'm just kind of ignoring them because we'll talk about it but yeah this is like what i think is a pretty standard amount of like players in a pool and he's been roughly the 11th best shortstop this year so yeah he by all metrics has deserved to be starting most of the year um now there have been guys who have been better than him on a per game basis uh, and then have gotten hurt at a bunch yeah. of different bent levels it is worth co- considering whether he is like really really worth starting or just barely on the edge but the idea definitely here is even if he's missing a few games here and here here and there he's stealing enough bags that you feel probably compelled to start him no matter what and so for players like this, I want to just go with the most basic, no like per game adjustments, just throw it in there sort of stuff. And we'll, we'll do our own math around the edges. I thought it was really interesting to consider this sort of problem because finally we have someone that doesn't even hit enough home runs to like be in that Mondesi trap. Like this is yeah. someone who is actively hurting you in four categories and by steals alone seems like he merits some consideration. And that is really Hamilton a fun factor. idea. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but like, not even the runs are positive here. 
Um, That's where we're at. We're talking nine whole Billy Hamilton sort of stuff. So if you look at uh, the Orioles on the roster research page, which, you know, a fun place to be if you're uh, looking for a good time on a Wednesday night, um, <laughs> it's not pretty. Mateo has been batting like bottom third, seven, eight, nine over the past while like he has no real business being anywhere near the top of the lineup. He would actually generate any sort of counting stats. Um, he actually does have a positive war. He's been worth about like one win because his defense has been excellent. Like he is a good defensive shortstop right now, which is fun actually out of all of this. I'm like, I'm glad he is contributing. Like we talked about a rise a minute ago. He's like not a good defender, <laughs> not great, but Mateo has been like really good defensively and a good base runner. And, and the other part of this, I want to make sure I bring up, he's had extremely good like batted ball luck in terms of line drives version you know like the are you mm. like sinking everything up in spite of that he can't hit the ball hard to save his life and he strikes out a ton it's it's really not a recipe for success and all that around the 11th 12th best shortstop uh through the, through this part of the season he's been a two dollar or so player um so what this got me thinking on uh more more like holistically it's like yes we want to figure out like how good do you have to be to like be in his role so where's he at right now um through right this second but not today he's got um a 29.6 percent strikeout rate and a 3.6 percent walk rate for a 225 average and a 250 obp that is not start a whole lot of games numbers yeah he's got three home runs 13 steals 12 RBI. So he has more steals than RBI and 14 runs uh, <laughs> through uh, 45 games slash 169 PA. Um, this is like roughly if you want to like extrapolate it out. Um, this is pretty close to what like three multiply those by like three and a half and you have like his rest of season pace. So we're talking like that's a 10 home run pace. Actually, it's also um, like a 50 run slash rba pace um it's also like a 45 steal pace or you know what am i doing that right yeah i think so um yeah yeah like 45 ish steal pace so like that's what we're looking at 10 45 225 and then 100 combined runs on rbi that is really bad uh in four categories mm. um right just for some like if you're curious for what uh, an average contribution so this is not helping you uh not hurting you in terms of the context of the whole league not this is not a one dollar player this is a ten dollar player so like, like, we want to compare against um we projected before the season before like the ball died um that you'd be looking at like 25 home runs 10 steals 260 um and then like 75 to 80 uh each for home runs and RBI. So you're losing 50 runs in RBI, 15 uh home runs um like from one player out of like 12 or 13 batters, we're losing um like 40 points of batting average. That's like 3 points of batting average for your whole team in exchange for 35 extra steals. And that is what yeah. it takes to be like effective. That's what we're looking at the trade-off being. Now mind you, he's probably benefiting from the fact that a lot of people aren't hitting as many home runs, which is kind of an interesting bit of all of this. It's easier to be Jorge Mateo this year when everyone else is being bad too, mm. if you're doing his things. So he's like a really interesting sort of case. 
Um, I don't know. Do you roster him anywhere? Do you do you I, ever I intend do. to roster anyone like him? <laughs> I do. I have him, and he's the the guy that I kind of slot in, and um, I'll manage my week. And if 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 it looks like oh, over the course of a weekend, I might be able to if if his two steals over the course of the weekend might win me that category then then i'll i'll slot him in or you know on a day where every you know there's a, an empty spot in my outfield that nobody's playing um mm. so is I, it more it, of a head-to-head thing then yes that's okay. that's really where i i play uh head-to-head and in a in a roto situation i'm going to be honest i still roto is not my my best format still have a hard time getting out of that week to week mindset. And, and it's okay if somebody's really bad for a little while, as long as they're also really good for a little while later on, because at the end of the year, it, it all kind of evens out. I, that's not my head headspace that I've ever had with mm-hmm. fantasy. I've always played in weekly head to head leagues, whether it's been points or categories. Um, but you know, steals are super scarce. So uh, again, if I'm going to the heap, right, the uh, the waiver <laughs> wire to get somebody to fill in, I I would rather have it be somebody that's elite at that. But it also, and this is something I was going to bring up. I, I I guess later I'll do it now. Um, I I have teams where I'm not getting super hurt with average because my team is putting up pretty robust averages. Mm, if I was okay. getting to the point where I was losing that category every week or, uh, you know, they weren't, uh, getting a lot of RBI or runs or whatever. Um, then, you know, you have to look at that and say, okay, I probably need to compensate there. I I'm very curious from a mathematical standpoint, if you mm-hmm. were to take somebody like Arias and pair him with Mateo purposefully. You're now using up two <laughs> roster spots, right? Yes. But they're each contributing the thing that the other one doesn't. Sure. Is that net positive or is that net negative? And, and this is a genuine question. I don't I don't know. I, I mean, basically the way you want to think about it is I always think back to the $10 player. Um, yeah, you're going to have a few players who are, are not going to be anywhere near there. It's probably worth, you know, knock those all down a little bit to think about your like hypothetical $1 player, but you don't want any of those guys. You need right. your team to be better than your opponent's teams, not better than the waiver wire. So a player is as good then as how far away from that average you want to be. You know, you want your, your team to be on average worth more than $10 contribution each. They want to know like total out to more than that, whatever. So, uh, you know, so if, if Mateo is, um, netting, like his pace is looking like it'd be like, if he keeps this up, he'd be like a five or $6 guy in the most extreme and hilarious way. Um, it's worth noting that a dollar is actually the break even. Cause they like give you a, a $1 minimum bid in this case. Um, so we're going to look at guys who have been like, bad in four categories good in one with a total net positive one dollar is actually like the break even positive case in those these if you have a one dollar minimum bid in your um in your salary cap setup or whatever so yeah, that makes sense yeah yeah so he's like he's at two dollars he's not gonna finish at eight he's gonna finish at like five if he keeps keeps this up and question mark because i don't think the bat of ball luck keeps up and i don't think the playing time keeps up either um there are some people in that system who uh will eventually be it August or wherever, be clamorings for some playing time that he is uh, currently providing. Um, and God, two fifty OBP, like that's that's a workaround. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So it sounds to me like if you're looking at two spots and you're pairing guys, mm-hmm. um, you want $20 worth of value from those two roster spots. And if you're Ideally. taking a $5 Ideally. guy and a, and a $7 guy, then you're just doubling down on being under the value you want to be at. I mean, but the thing is, like, you have to have those guys on your roster somewhere. So what I think you want to do then is like we're setting that up as like a here's how I generally think where you could run into that. It is is like you don't want to be digging a gigantic hole between your like bad guys in one direction that you're really forcing the first through fifth round hitters or whatever you drafted to like really be carrying. Right. I like to have some balance in what they're bad at, <laughs> just as like I want balance and my top end guys are good at because it just makes my life full of fewer headaches. And also like, you know, that also just makes it so that like if the shuffling of things happens, um, people get hurt, you know, at least you have a plan. So if you have a well, and you're Mateo, talking more like season long Roto now with that strategy, right? I mean, because then if I'm like thinking about that is like, like I'm, okay, like I'm filling I'm, in I'm a live weekly head to head. I'm live thinking this. So I apologize. I keep interrupting you. We don't usually talk over each other all that much. I'm doing it a lot today. I, and I am sorry. Um, if if I have decided that I'm punting steals in favor of being really loaded in other categories, mm-hmm. then I have zero reason to roster Mateo. Oh, yeah. yeah. And well, you can get away with punting a category, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In head-to-head better than you can in Roto. So in that sense, I think that is relevant, right? Tell me, You can tell me I'm wrong. It's okay. See, my thing, my thing about my thought about punting steals is I like to do it on draft day, but you don't like give up a guy who's good at steals in season necessarily. It's just you're not spending any of your money on it. And if you happen to find a guy on the wire who's going to steal some bases or, you know, some of your like dart throw guys end up stealing more than you think. You're happy about that. Um, you know, I have a punt steal um, head to head team that won steals last week. Um, and I'm pretty happy with it. <laughs> what a good week. If you don't need Mateo on that team, I guess right. is what I'm saying. So you don't, he doesn't really even come into your purview in that context. Well, the thought is, um, is that he's hurting me in the categories I'm trying to win. And right. The question then is, is a much higher chance of winning steals worth it? And you know, the way that these things all shake out is, well, the numbers should balance out. And if he comes out positive, he's not hurting you that much. Right. And that's, it's a rough way to have to think about all that. Cause that's never really quite true. Right. There's always going to be closer margins in places than others. The reason I like to punt steals is because there's just not that many of them, which means it comes out to be random. And so my steel punt team can still win steals. But like, if you're running like a, an accidental home run punt team, you're not going to win home runs. If you run an accidental RBI punt team, that's just a bad team. Right. Um, or you, you draft a lot of leadoff hitters, whatever you want to call it. But like, that's why I punt steals. Um, so that's why this is also so interesting is like you, you draft for those teams and you're like, oh yeah, I'm so good in nine of 10 categories. I guess I can roster Mateo. I accidentally did. And or, like, if that's your situation. Like this all just comes out to, I want to show where that line is so that in three or four weeks, whenever you're like, okay, Mateo has, um, still 12 rbi or whatever it is i don't think he's gonna have 12 rbi in week 10 you know let's call it 15 rbi and it's ugly and you're still trotting him out there like is he helping you right now with his exceptionally good luck 
it's still just barely positive. Um, so I want to say, okay. like, if you're in the in the camp that, yeah, I've been getting good results out of him. Good for you. Don't expect it to keep up is my thought. Sure. Yeah. You need to be very aware of of the trends, right? Because there's going to be a point at which you probably are going to dip into that negative space. So we've I think we've um, elaborated on the concept here, right? Everybody kind of gets what what it is we're talking about. Why don't you talk about some other category uh, uh, one category guys and, and maybe, you know, three, four minutes on each and, uh, and kind of how this, this translates over to say home runs or, or RBI. If you're, if you're an elite RBI person, is it different than being an elite stolen base person? Do you need to be an outlier in a larger way? Like, does it take up that many more to get to two standard deviations above the mean? in a different category. So you, you really have to um, find people who are, are exceptional. And, and can you be elite at RBIs without being really good at home runs? Right. Like where, where do these things kind of come into play? I guess stolen bases is a very obvious category to go to for being a one category uh, contributor. These other mm-hmm. ones might get a little bit more muddy. Uh, yeah, so. so I put together what I am calling uh, the monkey's paw all-star team. These are the guys <laughs> that you uh, pick up because you need some help in one category and the monkey's paw curls. And uh, well, <laughs> they help you in one category. So the criteria I set here is I pulled like the year to date um, fan graphs, auction calculator, 12 team NFBC setting, et cetera, et cetera, dudes. Um, this this morning, uh, this Wednesday morning. So like one stolen base or home run might push someone in one direction or the other. Yeah, that's um, true. <laughs> but whatever, you know, you get the point. Um, yes. I also didn't click the experimental button I usually hit because again, if you're drafting a guy for help in one category, you're probably playing him no matter what, barring injury. There are some people on this list who have been injured. We'll talk about it. It's really good to know where things break. So I left him in. Um. And you're not wrong in that steals are definitely one of the categories that's that shows up more. I set the initial criteria as you have to be 50 cents bad, like 50 cents below average in four categories and then um, positive in the other. Um, And then like, realistically speaking, that doesn't get you to like positive total value always. So I want to talk about where Jorge Mateo is at because it's so funny. He's a dollar down, a dollar ten down on average, a dollar forty down on RBI, a dollar twenty down in runs, three fifty in stolen bases, and uh, ninety three cents down in home runs. Uh, for a total dollar after like the positional contribution of two oh three. So, um, if you extrapolate that out, multiply by about three and a half, he's looking at being. Let's see if can I do three and a half times three and a half? Most days I can. Uh, you know, it's somewhere <laughs> in like twelve bucks, which is like more than like like about one and a half standard deviations in terms of steals. Like, no, way more than that. It's gonna be way more than that. Wow. Okay, because we're talking like a, like I said, a forty-five steal pace. A standard deviation is about nine. Yes, he's gonna be looking at like like three or four standard deviations above. But he's also insane. like gonna be more than one or two down in every other category. Just an extreme yeah, dude. Right, right, so right. funny. You're also talking about him with shortstop eligibility, right? If that you were too much here, actually. Okay, so if, if you run it as an outfield, it doesn't significantly drop his positional value to to take a big bite out of that two dollars. No, the only one that really changes things that much more than like a 
more than a few cents is a uh, catcher. Um, catcher. So I among the guys who uh, come out as a positive uh, at all, like just above zero and then qualifying like the steals version of this are Eli white for Texas, who has uh 93 plate appearances. So yeah, I think he'll actually be better if he's playing full time, but I don't, is he probably not. And uh, Christian Bethencourt for uh, the Oakland A's who is catcher eligible and has a hundred PAs. And like, he's, he's a positive because he's catcher eligible. Like that's it. Um, Again, the plate appearances are like, it breaks everything. There are some guys who are farther down the value outputs though, who are playing full time that are like, they just don't net out to being a positive, but they do help you in steals while hurting you in all the other categories. And I thought I should drop some of their names in because it's kind of interesting. Um, Andrew McCushion, he was hurt or COVID or for a second. Uh, Tony Kemp, uh, Ahmed Rosario, who I drafted way higher than I my gut told me I should have this year, and I do regret it. Uh, Jared Kelnick technically qualifies in this, as do Adalberto Mondesi and uh, Paul DeYoung. None of them are playing in the majors right now, as far as I know. Um, and um, um, obviously Al Garcia, another kind of like disappointing playing most of the time guy. So there's actually a lot of people who kind of fit this mold. Mateo is like the only one who's still been like worth starting out of all of them, hypothetically. Mm. So what about what about moving on to let's say home runs? Yeah, so this one's interesting in that um because home runs correlate with RBI, um, there's not that many people who qualify um mitch garver and sal perez are both catchers who fit this mold um solo shots as it turns out are not great and uh abram toro for the seattle mariners who is uh, according to fangraphs first base second base third base and dh eligible with the things i put in which is really funny um, but he's <laughs> hurt you on the year he's just not he's not playing a ton which doesn't help he hasn't been that positive with home runs he's been worth three cents of home runs so he has like he's exactly average yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like he barely qualifies I, this is a category though it's like there are people that are two and three category contributors for home runs that are really killing you an average right or really not getting you that many runs despite their home runs because they're only batting themselves in basically yeah right so, right so you're gonna have guys who are like this they're just not gonna be one category guys so why don't we talk about RBIs since that's kind of the the companion category for home runs? Yeah, no one came out net positive in this case. Um, the one guy who shows up in RBI um, that's like significantly up and then way down on all the other ones is Alex Verdugo. Um, but yeah, he's been like way down on everything except for RBI. And that makes sense in a, in a, in a way, right? He hasn't been great. He's hitting what? Like, is he hitting sixth or so? Is he hitting? He's in that. He's not that part of the order for Boston, right? That sounds right. Yeah. So then, if you you imagine yourself hitting about sixth or seventh for a reasonably good team, you're gonna get a good number of um, like opportunities to bat someone in. But you're if you get on like someone behind you is not gonna bat you in, and if you just haven't had the average and the st- steals and the home runs, we're just talking like sack flies and singles and doubles being like the entire source of your fantasy production and you know it does make sense how you can be a good rbi guy without being really a great player um there's got to be a couple other guys who are like net positive in home runs for the moment who fit in here um i imagine there are some guys who just don't even have the rbi to do this but like that's where any of their value has come from so far so yeah that was an interesting one for me is interesting to me because it's like the one category you can net while making outs 
right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, that can play into that too. Um, all right. What about runs? Let's talk about runs. Um, there's exactly one player who shook out in this and um, it is, well, good team has scored a lot, has not been very good. And that's Eduardo Escobar. Um, again, he's been down, he's been in a net, net negative for you, but he's been mildly positive in runs and just really bad at everything else. Like you'd think. Um, so like, it's hard to be in that mold, but if it is, it's, I drafted, uh, player on a good team the playing time hasn't been great when he plays the Mets score a bajillion runs when he doesn't play the Mets score a bajillion runs uh so like <laughs> he's been good in your lineup on those days ish but he's not stealing um i kind of worried that his home runs last year like wouldn't be all that sustainable because he's kind of a guy who hits a whole lot of home runs without a ton of hard contact you just optimized um like spray and stuff like that and some luck um and now that the ball is uh on vacation um his uh, home runs are too and so it's been <laughs> mediocre and i had him in a league or two where i drafted him kind of mid late and he's been benched and i haven't felt bad about it because yeah 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 seems Makes like sense. i shouldn't have um, um all right let's bring this full circle back to where we started talking about uh luis arias and, and his uh, insane batting average and, and ability to kind of um do that as a skill right mm-hmm. especially in this sort of baseball climate and talk about other players who are average specialists who probably don't have wrc pluses north of 150 yeah average is actually one of the things where you can be a net positive with really low plate appearance subtle so this list is super long and i'm trimming it on purpose as a result um i'm really only going to look at the people who have at least 150 ish pas um and there are actually some really interesting names in here um i want to start off that the most positive of these people has been alejandro kirk who had a really good night the other night and pushed himself up this list you know like net three dollars so like subtract one multiply by three and a half and we're looking at you know like a 10 ish dollar season from him pace and he's getting better this uh separately i really believe in him and i'm really excited for him um the other names on this list are really intriguing uh trey mancini has been a mild net negative really really helping you in average really really nothing else is happening there yet another case of the camden yards um Mm. michael brantley is kind of exactly who we thought he is except the average hasn't been that good (laughs) like he's like mildly positive and hurting you just enough to qualify basically everywhere else so he's been a 30 cent player this year (laughs) kind of funny um some other names that fit in for some other reasons uh carlos correa has been hitting the ball really hard with like bad results but has had a decent batting average like not enough home runs the twins have been not providing him a lot of counting stats he never he doesn't steal um so like literally no stolen bases last year none this year so yeah he's like exactly kind of fits into this miguel cabrera also um positive average similar sort of thing uh detroit not a good place to be hitting so yeah a lot of like people you'd expect um and then there's a bunch of catchers um if you stroll farther down the list you're gonna find a whole lot of names who qualify for like barely any pas and it's kind of funny to just like watch the data spit it at you and just laugh um like williams astudio is on this list with 11 pas uh mm. and good for him of course he is but you know it's funny <laughs> so <laughs> yeah I, I figured i should i should name drop like how that works out there there really aren't that many people who fill out this way 
but there are a lot of people who are going to be really close in some different directions. And it's quite funny how that all shakes out. The reasons why you should care about any of these names, though, is you can go look at them, see what their paces are, and see that, for example, I'll pull up Michael Brantley because I feel obligated to. He's a good. He's a good. He's always a good example of this, and you can look him in past years, and you can run this exact same approach, by the way, for all of 2021, and you'll get yourself a really helpful version of this for like a larger thing. But yeah, 16 runs, 16 RBIs. So that's 32 combined. Um, he's looking at you know like a total pace for the season then of like 120 or so, like 60 and 60. Like that's not great. He's got three home right. runs, one steal. Like that's not great. He's batting 267. Um. Yeah, that's not yeah. enough to be helping you. He and probably needs to be batting 300 to be worth rostering. Right. And and he has been closer to 300 in, in years past. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a disappointment for sure from him. I would note that if some balls were falling for him, that he's still got a great lineup spot. And I imagine the cutting stats should be there. So, like, I actually yeah. do think that in a good number of leagues, especially deeper leagues, like. I probably would be picking him up if he's on the wire, but I don't think he's on the wire necessarily, you know, like in a 15, right? In a 12, he's on my watch list or on my bench, and I'm like happy with that. He is who we thought he is. Nothing's really changed that severely. It's just like the ball's dead, but he kind of hits singles and doubles anyways, so it's not like dying in the air all that much for him. He actually does hit the ball really hard still, right? But it's just like it wasn't hanging in the same way. So like, yeah, yeah, guy. yeah. Now, and, and the new ball certainly... Certainly probably playing a role uh, for for a player like that. Um, I guess the takeaway, it sounds like to me then, is that for the most part, you have to be amazing at one category to be worth rostering as a one category contributor. I mean, beyond. Uh, you're talking with Mateo, like three standard deviations above the mean. That's that's an insane that you're talking about, like one percent of one percent of the league right at that. At right. That and stage. I imagine he probably isn't playing nearly as much um, like even for the Orioles, if not for some of this stuff, because I bet mm-hmm. they think it's fun and they're right. It is. Um, but if he was just defensively good, uh, 250 OBP, I bet he doesn't get this sort of run. Um, and probably is he running? Right. Yeah. Because that that's really valuable for real baseball. Not, not doesn't help our fantasy teams, but mm-hmm. they're playing real baseball uh, in, well, theoretically, at least in Baltimore. Um, I, I would be interested and I'm not giving you a homework assignment because I think it would probably get very complicated quickly, but I would be interested to see how this changes when you start talking about two categories. So somebody who, like you were talking about before, hit, hits a ton of home runs, gets a lot of RBI, but hits, you know, 215. Um, doesn't I, steal, doesn't necessarily score many runs other than than the ones that that he drives in himself. So uh, I would wonder where the math would tell us that that value is. I um, bet, and you might um, have an idea. I bet I I could like set my parameters to be more negative and then more positive to see how many people show up. You know, that's the sort of thing. Is like I want to know how many of these people even exist. It's a question that we're not good at answering because we don't have to, right? Like, yeah, how often do we roster people who are this bad and then also this specifically good at a thing that doesn't matter? It doesn't happen, right? This is the reason why, you know, you've heard people in years past, like, you know, Sarah's uh, after uh, um, the uh, VR uh, excellent year for uh, for Baltimore saying, like, he's not good at defense. He's not going to play 
And so you shouldn't be drafting him to be a steal specialist because like he doesn't have the goods to stay in the lineup at this point. Like we're seeing Mateo stay in the lineup, not for his bat. And it's, it's interesting. And like, I'm curious to see how long it holds up, but like these are the cases that don't present themselves for a reason. And I think that's kind of like the, the other closing thing is like, if you're in a dynasty league, sell Mateo. If you're in a redraft league and you can afford to at all steals wise, you probably should as well. Like there's nothing about this that screams. This is a guy that I want to be buying right now, despite everything else, even with my assessment that he hasn't been hurting you. That's not a reason to go buy. like, if anything, this is like the, um, um, triple sell to don't buy arrested development bit. So, Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's the perfect place for us to conclude this episode. Uh, Thank you for joining me. And if you could remind the people where they could find us. Well, they can find you on Twitter at the corked Matt. I'm on Twitter at chase underscore rate. And most importantly, you can find our podcast on Twitter at dugout study hall, where you can send us some questions. Please be sure to subscribe to the pitcherless podcast feed. If you haven't done that already, leave us a good review. If you can be so kind And if you're not already, please consider becoming a PL Plus member so that you can harass us on the PL Discord. And that's it for me. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time.